Hello everyone and welcome to Satellite Stories. If I say the words Mio, Geo and Leo to you, do you even know what I'm talking about? Now whether you're an avid long-term fan of studying satellites in space, a potential SES customer, or completely new to this ever-expanding part of the tech world, on this episode we've got a brilliant guest offering the best insights into what's what when it comes to the world of Mios and Leos. And a heads up on progress in our latest flagship program, O3B Empower. So grab your notepad and pen, a cup of tea and a tasty snack, as we discover why SCS is taking a rather different path in its future trajectory of satellite investment. By the way, to save you Googling, those acronyms I mentioned before, Leo, Mio and Geo, they stand for low Earth orbit, medium Earth orbit and geosynchronous Earth orbit. Yep, quite the mouthful, huh? Anyway, welcome to Satellite Stories. I'm your host, Christina Smith-Meyer. In the world of satellites, life is becoming more and more complex. There are more solutions to more problems and more customers and more competitors than ever before. As one of the relatively early players in the satellite industry, we've witnessed and been a part of the industry expansion, and that has been an honor. But there are a lot of opinions about where the industry is headed. Is Leo becoming overcrowded? Can Leo's service really serve all segments at all times? But surely latency is better with Leo than other orbits. And what's next for Mio and Geo? What do they provide customers that's different to Leo's. It really is a lot to get your head around. Now let me be upfront and lay out our store. We're not saying that SES won't be investing in Leo in the future, but we are saying Mio is a bigger focus for us right now. So today, it's great to hear from one of our most senior players in SES, Stuart Sanders, about why. Stuart is Executive Vice President of Technology, and he and his team at SES focus on end-to-end solutions to some of the world's largest telecommunications, maritime and energy companies, plus governments. But more importantly, he's the program lead for O3B Empower, a project which is paving the way for our investment into Mio. We'll explain more during our full conversation a little later on. First, to get us into the swing of things, Stuart takes us back a few decades, and starts by reminding us where the satellite industry began, as well as the role that GEO and LEO satellites play in the present day. So if we look at man's journey into space, uh, you know, really back in in the 60s, it's natural the first steps remain quite close to home with limited penetration into space and began in what we now refer to as LEO, low Earth orbit. So just above Earth's atmosphere, a few hundred kilometres above the Earth. The first significant communications of transatlantic video, though, were on Telstar in 1962 in an elliptical so-called Molnia orbit with a maximum height or apogee of approximately 6,000 kilometres, which is now getting quite a lot higher than than LEO. And that was dictated by technical constraints rather than being ideal for the mission, but it provided short periods of connectivity, proving that intercontinental video transmission and other data transmission could be possible in the future. Nevertheless, 
groundbreaking and a key milestone in the development of telecoms over satellite. Development of space for telecoms at scale really began with Early Bird in 1965 using the geosynchronous orbit, GEO, and the orbit that became key to really growing telecoms across the world. And the important thing about the GEO orbit um, is that it's a, if, if a satellite is placed above the Earth at 35,000 kilometers approximately in the same plane as the equator, it'll rotate and remain above the Earth at the same point. So what that means is if you're looking at that satellite from the ground or you're an antenna pointing to that satellite from the ground, it's effectively not moving. It's moving very in, in very small uh, ways. But generally, certainly for smaller antennas, which have a, a, a wide beam view, that satellite will appear to be uh, static um, or geostationary. And the, the fact that that satellite is synchronized with the Earth's rotation is the, uh, the, the reason the orbit is called geosynchronous. Um, so it's key to developing telecommunications. And it's been key to, and in fact, is an underlying tenet of DTH video business in which SCS has been a pioneer. And geo business, because of those capabilities, has seen significant global adoption across the world since the 1960s. Of course, geo is used for many other services as well. And the altitude provides excellent visibility over significant portions of the Earth. Geosatellites tend to be large and powerful since it's beneficial to place a lot of capability in an orbit that has such excellent connectivity. The larger satellites and higher altitude, though, do mean that launch costs can be prohibitive. So that's GEO. Now, if I jump down to LEO, and I'll do it in this order, uh, hopefully it makes sense in this order. But if I jump down to LEO, low Earth orbit, just a few hundreds of kilometers above the Earth. The proximity to Earth means connectivity over long distances via a single satellite isn't possible and coverage over any significant area will require multiple satellites rather than just one that will do the same with GEO. So this generally means the satellites are smaller due to the economics of, of putting large numbers of satellites in, into orbit. Indeed, a whole industry has developed around microsatellites and you can imagine satellites, in fact, they do exist, that are similar to the size of a one liter milk carton. And they often operate together, even in, in actuality, as an intelligent swarm of satellites. So there's quite a different um, technical construct than, than at, at GEO. It's only more recently that new entrants to the telecoms market have taken a serious run at launching global comms at LEO using huge numbers, thousands in some cases, of evenly spaced satellites. Even though the satellites are smaller necessarily because of the challenges of launching so many, the lower cost per unit is overcome by the volumes needed and the number of launches. So the investments are still quite high, uh, in fact, very significant. Okay, so I have to ask Stuart, why is there such a huge focus on LEO right now? Two main reasons. The proximity to Earth requires much less power to make a connection to a device on Earth and it reduces the delay in signal transmission or latency. This can mean connecting directly to end users with smaller, cheaper devices, and you can scale that because of the lower cost of the, the, the end devices. Hence, Leo is focused on mass direct-to-consumer internet connectivity, for instance. Something that isn't practical from higher orbits is a key focus of what they're trying to do. Of course, there's no free lunch 
And the choices you make about orbit will provide both benefit and some downside that need to be factored in. Proliferation of smaller satellites at LEO limits the throughput available and creates issues of system complexity, cost, and even the congestion of physical space, which is a growing concern. Specifically, recent comments about concerns that new massive scale LEO systems could collide with a space station in similar orbit gives some indication of the challenges. So that's LEO. Now, if I go back up to medium Earth orbit, which is near to my heart with respect to O3b and O3b Empire, it's a relatively less used orbit than GEO and LEO. With medium being between the LEO and GEO orbit domains, MEO covers quite a range of orbit altitudes, but for our purposes, we can perhaps think of it as somewhere between 2,000 and 20,000 kilometers. For instance, O3b and O3b Empire both operate at 8,000 kilometers. Well-known user of MEO is GPS, and ICO tried to develop MEO for telecoms in the late 1990s, but O3B has been the first and so far only successful telecoms in MEO, and arguably still the only one in any non-GSO uh, fully deployed and, and fully successful. I mean, there's certainly a lot of interest in why SES is talking up MEO at the moment, but why are you, Stuart, why are you so sure that MEO is the right way forward? Well, because it can leverage the advantage of, of lower latency, which we've seen comes with LEO, significantly lower than GEO, even, even at MEO. And the height ensures that the latency is always deliverable, which isn't always the case at LEO. So we tend to talk about a sweet spot, that balance between reach, coverage and latency. That's why we focused on MEO. The largest satellites possible, because fewer are needed to launch into a MEO constellation, mean that more power can be directed towards the telecom solution. And new frequency bands leveraged at MEO also mean that the total throughput capability is significantly higher than has been expected of LEO to date. So you can see different orbits, different challenges, different opportunities. And these aren't the only three orbits. There are certainly other types of orbit that are gaining traction in the telecoms world, including things like highly elliptical orbits, HEO, which have, again, their own benefits and, and, and drawbacks. Orbit design is a science in itself, and it's a key part of any of the business propositions that are being brought to, to market with these new entrants, that those trade-offs need to be worked out and a core part of the technical design and impl implementation. This is all really useful and fascinating, Stuart. Thank you. You know, a lot of people recognize SCS as the first to launch a MEO and GEO network. But tell me, Stuart, why is a multi-orbit strategy leveraging GEO and MEO the best combination for our customers? Well, when you think about those kind of questions, I think it's always important to remember the journey that brought us to where we are on specifically with respect to the question as part of our architecture we reviewed what we wanted to do and we consciously chose to not enter LEO. Part of the process of defining what became Empire and the MEO Geo architecture that we're bringing to market was to look at LEO in detail and understand what it could offer, the challenges in implementing it, the competition and how we would sit against that competition and therefore whether or not it could or should be a core part of our architecture. Clearly our decision was no, it shouldn't be so. For the markets we served and expect to serve, we believe a MEO Geo play is a more compelling offer 
more compelling in terms of readily achievable scale and flexibility, ability to serve a variety of markets, importantly, utilizing a bent pipe, and I'll explain more on that later, and open architecture that avoids forcing our customers into proprietary solutions and vendor lock. You have much more flexibility to bring your equipment to work with us rather than us saying, if you want to use the system, this is the equipment you have to use. And that is important for some customers. It's also clear that some of the markets which Leo will enter, for instance, residential broadband, will be highly contested. They already are through other solutions. And the scale required to compete in those markets presents a very high barrier to entry, as is evidenced by the huge amounts of capex required for these Leo constellations and the likely attrition which will occur. We already believed and still believe we're differentiated. We have USPs, unique selling points with the Mio Geo play. That's not to say we won't ever consider Leo and our public statements have indicated that Leo will have a role to play in SES's architecture, but it will be in a different way than other Leo entrants. It won't be at huge scale and it will be targeted at very niche uh, specific um, services. We also see value in the Mio Geo combination and where that can go in the future. It's, it's naive to now think that one solution will serve all markets equally. Indeed, one of our key customers, the US government, is actively seeking multi-layer solutions from its commercial providers in order to ensure multi-orbit, multi-provider resiliency as part of its architecture. Similarly, large commercial mobility users see orbit agility as a sensible play for extended and resilient coverage. And terrestrial networks and cloud providers see fiber-like satellite connectivity, such as that which we can provide for MIA, as being part, a key part of securing and even extending their networks where terrestrial networks cannot provide that kind of connectivity. Okay, so then let me play devil's advocate for a second here. Because the Leos are saying different things. They claim to be the answer for many of the same challenges. So what would you say to that? Yeah, as much as the Leos say they can serve all markets, if you look under the respective hoods of the offering, we believe we're in a better place to differentiate in the markets we are serving. We've got scalable solutions. The relative power of the Empire satellites and the variety of end-user terminal solutions means that we can scale any customer endpoint from low megabits to multiple gigabits into tens of gigabits. And we can do that in adjacent locations without overtaxing, exhausting the space segment. A LEO constellation will be relatively constrained because the scaling will be limited by the resources available from the LEO satellites in the immediate vicinity. I, I mentioned before they're smaller satellites, so the inherent throughput any one can provide is going to be limited, even if there are other adjacent satellites which can scale that up to some extent, they're not going to have the scale range that we can provide with O3B Empower. If we want to scale the O3B Empower constellation, we can just launch one or more satellites and phase them into constellation arc to provide many more gigabits to the constellation capacity. And importantly, many gigabits more to serving endpoints, all through a relatively scalable addition. For LEO to do the same, the number of satellites in orbit must be increased many fold and in multiple planes if a uniform and deliverable improvement in capability is to be provided. That's not an obvious um, feature of, of the designs, but if, if you sit down and think about how these systems work, it, it is a, a barrier to the scalability of the solutions. Most LEOs indeed 
In fact, many next generation high throughput satellites are also operating contended services using proprietary signaling, i.e. they're effectively overselling the capacity in order that they get more uh, financial return for the sale of that capacity. And that's uh, a common, common practice within telecoms industry, but it does come at a cross, at a cost, sorry. And latency. Clearly a key reason for moving from tried and trusted geo to lower orbits is the improvement in latency, which has a direct effect on the ability to provide data services. That's a known factor. And it's certainly something within the O3B um, system development that we've been very upfront about. Latency is really, really important. There are applications that won't operate over geo because of the higher latency. However, it doesn't follow that lower and lower orbits will continue to leverage improvements in latency. The latency needs to be deliverable, i.e. the customer endpoint needs to be connected to the outside world while experiencing that latency. Or more simply put, the satellite needs to see a gateway to connect the endpoint user to. Otherwise, what's the point? You have to be able to connect to the outside world. Proximity of LEO to the Earth means that gateway connection won't always be possible, certainly not without many, many more gateways than we will need at MEO. And even then, some locations will be a challenge too far. There is a reason that LEO needs to look at in satellite links. The proximity to the ground means connection to a gateway will not always be possible. The MEO orbit, because it's higher altitude, allows us much more flexibility on how we provide resources to the endpoints. And importantly, the reach the, the scale of connectivity ensures we can always see a gateway and indeed gateways to provide that flexibility. And there's also an elephant in the room with respect to the proximity of objects at LEO orbit. I mentioned before the concerns about LEO encroachment on the space station orbits. Ten years ago, I was the founding chair of a not-for-profit entity called the Space Data Association which is still today a consortium of satellite operators seeking to address the management of debris and the close proximity of objects in the commercial orbits. The warnings about the risk and consequences of collision in LEO are real, and the underlying mitigation techniques, which the SDA pioneered, are not obviously being adopted to avoid such issues. Frankly, it, this isn't responsible to behave in such a way. I'm still concerned that LEO collisions are a problem waiting to happen. Not only are these large-scale LEO systems capex inefficient, there is also an inherent complexity that may create unanticipated issues. There are also some important edge cases with respect to provision of services to key government customers. It's in the public domain that we've been supporting testing on the next generation protected tactical waveform over O3B MIO, which is currently in orbit, and with excellent results. This is no mean feat given the challenges of supporting complex waveforms through satellite-to-satellite -satellite handovers inherent to non-geosynchronous orbit operation. Those challenges will be exacerbated by the very much higher frequency of the LEO handovers, because there are many more satellites. And given that most, if not all of these LEO systems utilize proprietary waveforms themselves, not the open vent pipe that all of the O3B uh, space segment uses, it's not at all clear whether LEO will, will in fact be able to support the protected waveform in the future and other key government requirements. Nevertheless, some non-program of record money is being applied to LEO services, undoubtedly initially as proof of concept, may well develop to larger scale opportunities. 
But the idea that Leo can be all things to all users is significantly oversold as a concept. The scope of what all satellite operators are offering has necessarily moved beyond simple bandwidth infrastructure offers. And much of the last couple of years, my timing talking about Empower and the public domain has been around the total network offer and where we are taking it. For example, the, the alignment with cloud providers. I'm glad you mentioned O3B Empower just there. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So what is the SES vision and prediction of how Empower will fare in the world of NGSOs exactly? My expectation um, is that Leo will certainly gain traction in the residential and small business use of broadband markets that it's initially seeking to serve. And given they are already overlapping markets, which we are serving, we can expect to lose some deals that we should otherwise expect to win. They are gaining interest in the US government, not least because of a lot of effort in selling the concept. However, for that customer, we have a strong story and we can underline some of the shortfall that any Leo will have in this market. For instance, our offer to the UAV market, we feel, is significantly differentiated by the return link performance and the inherent reach of Mio. The fact that we have the flexibility to change the ratio of forward to return link performance is is really really important for these markets they're not all forward uh link dominant which is the case for many data services but there are some very specific and very important markets which are return link dominated we can serve equally because we have flexibility to do that within the forward to return link in general where a proper understanding of the value proposition is put forward i believe that we have the better hand to serve these markets and we can prevail while the Leo offer might continue to morph for reasons of necessity as much as real development, the user community understanding the respective value propositions will also evolve. And finally, Stuart, a look ahead to the next few years, including the launching of O3B Empower. Are you full of anticipation of what lies in store for SES, perhaps across multiple orbits, not just Mio? In terms of what I'm excited about and you know, the, as we build up to launch, execution, 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 both exciting and, and uh, you know, something that brings focus to my day and my team's day, day in, day out. I recently checked back and we started working on O3B Next Gen, uh, as we called it back then, what eventually became O3B Empower. We were, were working back in earnest in 2014. So to be within shouting distance of the launching of the spacecraft, uh, which will be launched this year. And the service is something to marvel at. When I have time to stop and think about it properly, it is truly remarkable uh, where, where we've come from and where we're, we're heading um, with our customers. The scale of what we're delivering is also daunting as the challenge of delivering on those expectations. This journey, of course, doesn't end with that starter service. We see plenty of opportunity for value development beyond starter service and for years to come and within the O3B Empire constellation itself, but also on other things that SES is working with that will complement O3B Empire. And uh, that is also huge excitement. And to reiterate, Leo will likely be part of SES's fabric in the future, but for the right reasons in the appropriate places in the context of the system architecture decisions we've already made. Frankly, I like the cards we're holding and I wouldn't change them for any of the other players at the table. Um, we're in a great position and I just look forward to executing on that and bringing it to market. 
Our thanks to Stuart Sanders for his time to explain and lay out the land of Mio and Leo. An important and likely ongoing conversation over the next decade, at least. If you'd like to find out more about the technology and industries we're hoping to support with O3B Empower, you can download our insights paper for free at ses.com forward slash O3B hyphen empower. Next time on Satellite Stories, we'll be heading to the end of the world. Well, to Antarctica, more specifically. And we hear how SES is supporting explorer Robert Swan to live stream his next expedition across Antarctica. Do make sure to follow this series so you're notified the moment the episode is released. Thanks for listening. And for more about what we do, visit ses.com. <laughs>